Hey everybody, this is Bob Barker with the AGC of Wisconsin, and I want to welcome you to the Ford Construction Podcast. Today we're pleased to have two insurance industry professionals and longtime AGC supporters with us. Joining us are Phil Hausman of Hausman Johnson Insurance and Isaac Gushin of M3 Insurance. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. So, hey, before we get going, um, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you and and both of your companies for you know your longtime support of AGC. Um, not only our event sponsorships, but I know when whenever we have insurance issues come up, wherever they might be at the Capitol or or otherwise, we can always rely on M3 and Osman Johnson to to help us out. And I know that um, you both participate in, in uh, leadership AGC at certain levels as far as making presentations, and, and we appreciate your support. So um, before we get going here, why don't, um, um, Isaac, why don't you tell us a little bit about M3 and give us your contact information so we can provide that to the members. And yeah, stuff. of course. Yeah. Well, first, thanks for, for including me and letting me participate to help the members whenever we can. We have, like you said, been longtime members and have enjoyed our run with the UGC. And I've listened to some of the other podcasts. They've been fantastic. So bar set high and we'll, uh, we'll do our best between Phil and I to address some of the concerns about insurance and uh, what's going to be happening going forward. Uh, M3 Insurance is a uh, corporate office in Madison, Wisconsin, but we have locations all over the state. And I work as the director of construction and real estate for M3 in our construction practice. My contact information, if you need it, uh, first name, period, last name at m3ins.com and phone number 608-288-2871. Okay, Phil. Yeah, I just want to echo everything Isaac had said about uh, in regards to the AGC and the uh, construction industry as a whole. We're happy to be partners with you guys, and uh, I'm here happy to help and offer any guidance uh, regarding uh, the COVID exposure and uh, the problem that all industries are facing and the world's facing. Uh, Houseman Johnson Insurance has been around since 1946. Uh, we have two locations in Wisconsin, and I'm a member of the construction group. My contact information is uh, phil.houseman at houseman-johnson.com, and uh, my phone number is 608-252-9676. Great, guys. Um, appreciate that information. So um, the insurance industry is coming more into focus as we deal with the real and potential changes in workers' compensation um, and employment practices, liability, and other insurance coverages that impact our industry. So, Phil, I guess, first of all, can you just get us started by telling us about Wisconsin Act 185 uh, that was signed into law on April 15th? Yeah, uh, we, I'll certainly uh, talk about that, but maybe uh, it might be best to uh, put a little foundation for the, the listeners. When I say that, I think it's important that uh, everyone have a great understanding that, you know, most workers' compensation claims stem from workplace injuries, and some involve illnesses acquired on the job, uh, and generally these are covered as long as it's specific to that job. Uh, you know, you think of certain respiratory illnesses for firefighters, uh, but instances like, you know, a flu that you get from the sick coworker, that's typically non-compensable under workers' compensation. So uh, for COVID-19 to be covered, uh, it's got to be considered an occupational illness or disease, meaning that it has to arise out of an individual's employment and is found to be due to workplace exposure. The illness also has to be peculiar to the employment and that the exposure is more likely to have occurred on the job than at home or anywhere else. 
So getting into Act 15, when Evers signed this into law, embedded in the Act was a temporary change to workers' compensation. This created a reputable presumption that first responders, as defined by the Act, so you think of, you know, hospital workers, firefighters, things of guys or folks in that line of work, they become infected with COVID-19 after coming into contact with a person who has it through their employment, in fact, contracted the illness at work. So this presumption assists in making uh, COVID-19 compensable under workers' compensation law. For first responders who have received, uh, you know, a diagnosis from a physician or if they've gotten, indeed, a positive COVID-19 test. This is really important because uh, this act is, again, creating some assistance for those who contract it in the line of work. And they're saying, hey, we're putting this, some of this stuff aside and we're making the assumption you got it through work. The construction industry is not receiving that benefit. So if you're on a, if an employee contracts it uh, and it's an individual on the job site or it's you know, it's good. I mean, it's going to be very difficult for uh, the workers' compensation insurance carrier to deem that compensable because there isn't a specific test out there that uh, tells you where someone gets it. And that's really what's kind of the issue at hand and what's causing some tension in our uh, industry on the workers' compensation side of things. Now, each case is going to be determined on its own merit and uh you know, truthfully, and I think Isaac will agree with this, um, it, each it's going to be based on its own merit, and ultimately it might come down to uh, how a court or a state, state workers' compensation board views this as these claims start to pile up. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that Act 185, as you're going to talk about, tries to protect those first responders, but we have a lot of essential workers that um, could potentially have claims from employees who feel like they contracted it while in the course of their duties for the employer. And there are some hurdles. Um, so I agree. I think it's going to be on a case by case basis and he will be to uh, collect as much information as possible. And then uh, kind of in line with this, and if I'm stepping on your toes, Isaac, let me know, <laughs> but uh, let me, uh, other states are starting, you know, are passing different laws and I can't speak to all of them. But at the uh, mid-April, Illinois did pass uh, an amendment that did include, uh, you know, the critical trades uh, under the kind of that essential worker, first responder uh, definition where this presumption would be applicable. Uh, This created a lot of angst, if you will, between different associations, whether it be the AGC of Illinois or manufacturing associations, and ultimately that uh, act was then repealed, I believe, last week. So, Isaac, is that going on in the other states around us? And, uh, you know, Michigan, there's one of the harder hits from housing and healthcare projects, and the governor there signed an emergency rule creating an absolute presumption that certain first response employees have sustained a personal injury arising out of in the course of their employment if the first response employee meets one of four criteria. And the criteria in Michigan were um, if they're quarantined at the direction of the employer due to confirmed or suspected COVID-19 exposure, if they received a COVID-19 diagnosis from a physician, they received a presumptive positive COVID-19 test or a laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 diagnosis. They, too, like all other states or most other states, uh, included typical frontline responders, but they do not include construction classes, whether essential or not, and completely re- um, relieve first responder employees from 
proving that they contact, contracted the virus in the course of their employment or that the contraction of the COVID-19 rose out of employment. So pretty pretty broad for frontline workers, and they were pretty poignant. I think Wisconsin and, in general, the Midwest is a pretty fair place to do business, so I expect carriers to step up when it's pretty obvious that there's a covered claim and they can uh, pinpoint where they contracted it. Um, if they can't, I think they have hurdles in trying to obtain coverage. But there are a number of employees that have a real exposure to this because they're doing service work or construction in hospitals and senior living. And I think that, that those are easier cases to get approved. Um, the tougher ones are when you're trying to prove that an employee got sick and they've come in contact with, you know, very kind. So have we really seen many um, workers' comp claims from construction workers and with regard to COVID? And, you can probably uh, both answer it, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I would say we have not had uh, any claims made at this point, asserting that they've uh, been contracted COVID while in while at work. That's similar for you Same guys. Here. Yeah, I'm not aware of any cases in our group um, where we've had any reported claims under workers' compensation. I can't speak to any uh, claims, let alone covered or uncovered. We d- I just don't believe that we've had one. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm probably a homer, but I'm. But I'm going to state the claim that that's because our contractors have done a good job in protecting their people. So, but, um, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, Absolutely. so um, as we start to reopen the economy, um, what kind of insurance consideration should we have? Our members have, um, and you know, when working with their clients and the public. Yeah. The well, from an insurance consideration standpoint, uh, obviously. Uh, the AGC released a COVID plan, and I think uh, it's beneficial to all members to, fo- to follow it and keep in line with what the CDC recommends. Uh, but you still have uh, an exposure out there, and let's face it, anyone can sue you for anything. And so if, up, if we get to a point where businesses are up and running and uh, you're having customers come into your office or um, you've completed a project, and for whatever reason, the virus is, uh, someone picks up the virus, there is an exposure, uh, you know, for liability that involves uh, allegations of negligence for the failure to disinfect uh, their office appropriately or um, a, a job site. I mean, the possibilities are really endless. And again, it's every policy uh, different, and so I can't comment on whether there's coverage provided or not. But it's some, certainly something that all businesses are going to have to be uh, conscientious of. Well, I was just going to say that I think the general sentiment from carriers around the country is, uh, if the policy has the word liability in it, that they anticipate litigation. I, I said yeah. it before; I'll say it again. I think Wisconsin and the Midwest in general, less litigious, and in, in most states, we may be a bit insulated from it. Um, so, in other words, people doing the right things and taking CDC recommendations and doing what they can to keep their workplace safe, um, I think, are, are well protected. And if they have insurance for it, then they'll they'll lean into their advisors on using their insurance as a risk transfer strategy. But in general, I, I agree with what you said, Bob, that I think the members are doing a great job of heading off cases early, helping give employees the ability to work from where they need to work from and I'm hopeful that it's under control long enough that it doesn't hit the insurance industry too hard and then downstream hit our clients and customers. So is there any connection here? Like 
know, I've been actually thinking about this, you know, within our office, but, you know, like your employment practices, liability, or your DNO insurance, or is there, are there any considerations there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, we call it EPLI coverage, but it's employment practice liability and uh, the coverage for things like wage and hour, wrongful termination, ADA issues, third-party discrimination, treating employees differently if they have COVID-19, all the stuff that might come out of that and the lawsuits that might fly around is going to be extremely important. We're already um, seeing Phil and I were having a little sidebar about this, that the underwriting from those companies is getting uh, extremely tight. So with a lot of people working from home, touchy furlough rules, record unemployment, Areas are bracing for an onslaught of claims activity, and EPLI for most employers is probably underutilized and flown under the radar for a number of years. But with declining interest returns for carriers and potential surges in claims activity, I think we're going to see very, very stringent underwriting changes in appetite for writing certain classes of business. So I think that's kind of a good lead-in to my next question, and and that is what. Um, so going into you know. As we came out of 2019, I guess, what kind of financial shape was the insurance industry in? And, you know, going into 2020 and as we look towards, you know, next six to nine to 12 months, are there any projections about the the state of the insurance market from a financial and, you know, hardening or softening consideration? Yeah. um, So prior to 2020, uh, 2019 was uh, ended pretty much in a hard market, and for those that are unaware of what that is, it's really a supply and demand issue. In a hard market, premiums are increased, and capacity for different types of insurance decreases, and this is primarily a result of claims, and that can be a combination of both frequency and severity. Um, the insurance companies, no one likes to hear this, but they've been getting really hammered uh, on auto liability claims that then trend into the umbrella and excess claims uh, as a result of these nuclear verdicts that are just um, substantial in size. And so as a way to uh, address those, the insurance market has been hardening and increasing its costs uh, in those lines of coverage and even uh, maybe diminishing their appetite for how much uh, umbrella each carrier would be willing to offer. So any uh, of your members or constituents that have kind of uh, renewed their insurance program in the past several months that probably felt some effect of that. Uh, Now with COVID, it's kind of like what Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the nose because the insurance companies had to pivot a little bit. Uh, I'm sure a lot of folks have read or seen or received a rebate on their personal auto insurance. And I can't think of a time, if ever, uh, an insurance company has given money back to you uh, for no reason. Uh, I mean, sometimes you might get something as a result of performance, but not just for being a good customer. And uh, that's that's something to, to take note of. Uh, so that's not exactly happening in the commercial uh, side of things, but uh, for your members, it's if you are being impacted by this uh, and from a cash flow or revenue standpoint, I certainly would suggest you uh, look at your exposures uh, for your insurance exposures and adjust your payroll, uh, your sales and your subcontractor costs for uh, your general liability and 
The same goes for your workers' compensation. Uh, I don't know if the market's completely softened. And as Isaac uh, referenced, the employment practices in DNO market is certainly in for uh, quite the ride. Yeah, indeed. I would add that was a good summary. I'd add that investment returns are not great right now. Anybody with a 401k or investments knows that. Um, and insurance companies are no different. So if you tie that in with the, their inability to write a new business, um, the retention numbers are good, but the new business numbers are going to be very low heading into the second, third, and fourth quarters. It's enough to make agents nervous. It makes carriers nervous. Uh, they don't know where their, where their revenue is going to be coming in from, and they don't know what their insureds are going to do with their payrolls and exposures, which turns into premium. I think most insurance companies, especially large, sound financial companies, can lose some money on underwriting, You know, not charging enough premium, and then paying more in losses than they collect in premium. But then they have to get a return on their investment. And if they're not getting invested returns on the premium they collect, uh, that's when we start seeing more hard market push. It's a you know, hope that insurance companies report really low losses. Uh, so many people staying home right now off the roads and auto already being a tough line, like Bill had pointed out. Um, I'm hoping that we can avoid an even harder market on some of these lines of coverage. Sorella, I agree, has been, has been a very challenging line of coverage when some companies were used to working with one carrier in all lines. They're, they're now working with three or four different companies to get all the coverage that they need. I guess for my information and information of others, I guess I don't know, but the hell caused all the auto um, claims. What was that uh, about? You know. Drivers. Drivers? Yeah. So it was just, <laughs> well, I guess, you know, driving the Beltline, you know, every day, I understand now. <laughs> but yeah. I, I didn't realize that there was such a run on auto claims that really impacted the insurance market that much, but. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of inattentive uh, driving claims. Uh, I mean, I drive to the office and I will see a college kid watching a movie on his phone while driving while driving down the street. Oh, you're not supposed you to know, do that. Things oh, like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, you know, a lot of uh, businesses they have the best. You know, they have a, a top high end fleet management driver safety tools and protocols, uh, but there's still the variable of that one driver on the road and Typically, uh, someone who carries personal auto insurance doesn't carry very high limits, and then that gets, uh, you know, damages get passed on to those that have deep, deeper pockets. There's, mm-hmm. there's going to be more drivers on the road to a certain extent, at least with our members, because you know the, one of the one of the uh, prevention policies is carpooling, making everybody drive separately because you can't social distance in a pickup truck. So um, hopefully, they're good drivers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and Silver probably the only people that Google these things are insurance agents and carriers and brokers. But there are some just absolutely large, huge claims coming out of all parts of the country. Uh, when a jury looks at a claim for auto and they see that the company has an extremely large umbrella, they're just they're just going after a, a, a total amount of available insurance. It's just um, the amount of money that is being claimed for auto and other types of claims, but a lot of it auto. Really close eye on other lines of coverage and where comp was ignored. So really high dividends were being thrown around, especially in the Wisconsin company. And as that got dialed back and profitability was regained, um, you know, auto was ignored. And they weren't keeping an eye on auto increases. They were pretty much flat renewals for a long time. If you get a decent size fleet, um, you know, you can figure out the premium. One claim 
kind of blows up that loss ratio pretty quickly. Uh, driving around a seventy or eighty thousand dollar truck, and it doesn't cost seventy or eighty thousand dollars to insure your thing. So, <laughs> you could, I think the majority of our insurance have really good driver controls. Probably true of your members as well. It's it's a minority issue, not a majority. I think it's large claims, like Phil had pointed out. I don't think it's a, a big issue with constant claims from lots of people. Well said, Isaac. So I just have um, one question. So you know, as you know, as we go back to you know reopening here, and you know, the, the one thing that has made our members nervous, quite honestly, is you know, this whole non-contact temperature taking of employees and the jobs. Um, and the liabilities associated with that whole thing, as far as you know, um, incorrect temperature taking, sending people home, and all that good stuff, um, has there been any talk about that issue in in your business? Doing a little research and, and trying to and seeing what's going on, and um, Simon Property Group, who's the largest retail reinvestment firm in the country, they own the, more malls than anybody. They're opening about 50 uh, over, I think, on Monday, if not later next week. And uh, they're primarily in Texas, Georgia, and South Carolina. But what they're doing is that they're providing face masks to anyone that enters their mall. I don't know where they're getting them, but that's what they're doing. And then they're also offering uh, uh, temperature reads, what you mentioned, Bob, non-contact thermostats. Uh, to those individuals who request them. So um, from an insurance standpoint, I don't think any company is going to mandate that you have to do it, uh, that any client or any business has to do it. Just because they're not mandating it doesn't mean it's the right thing to, not the right thing to do. Yeah, I guess maybe one other thing I would say about it is I just think about it here while we talk is, you know, my, my big thing that I'm trying to communicate to uh, people we do business with is to communicate early and often with your agents, your carriers, the people you do business with, the professional service providers. Get input from everybody on what's the best way to address this. Because if, you, if you're looking for, in my perspective, if you're looking for a carrier to, quote, have your back in the toughest of times, uh, you know, that, this is when you lean into them and get them on the same page and be in agreement. Uh, you're more likely to get buy-in from your, your professional partners and your insurance carriers if you're p- putting your plans in front of them, having them give input. And um, I think that's a good way to protect yourself if you have concerns. Yeah, I, uh, uh, Isaac, I completely agree. And particularly, you know, each job is different. If you're rehabbing a floor of a hospital, you're facing a far different exposure than if you're building a brand new building. And uh, it's great to reach out to the resources that, uh, you have in your risk mitigation and risk management department and figure out what's the best way of getting something done and putting everyone in the, uh, in the best best position possible. Great. I guess, um, I mean, you've answered a lot of my questions. Do you have any any real closing, anything to close with? Uh, Isaac's last point of uh, keeping the communication going is probably, you know, the best way to close it because uh, – as I said, I think each job is a little bit different and they're going to have different requirements and safety measures that they need to be taken into consideration. Yeah, all I would say is because it's an insurance-related um, conversation and construction, I'd, I'd say this is, again, the time to lean into your best relationships. In times like these, a good advisor can, should, and likely will pay off. Know that your insurance carriers um, are very worried about their reputation coming out of this. 
a lot of bad news has probably hit a lot of people's inboxes, and <laughs> it may not be the outcomes everybody wanted, but I think those tough conversations have to be had, and frankly, they have a, a lot of great resources to uh, rely on, so leading into that you know, is, is extremely important. Great. Well, hey, uh, again, I want to thank you guys for participating today, and um, repeat our level of appreciation for your support of AGC and the industry. And I want to thank you for coming on and have a good weekend. Thanks for listening to the Forward Construction Podcast. To access this and other AGC podcasts, go to the AGC website at www.agcwi.org or download directly at Google Play or Apple Podcasts. For more information on this podcast or to get involved, please contact Bob Barker at the AGC office.